Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Courtney Snyder, a physician, an adult, and child holistic psychiatrist. In previous podcasts, I talked about attachment, which is all about our connection to others, something we are inherently wired for. We need connection to thrive and really to survive, but we also need a connection to ourselves, which is what I talked about in a recent podcast called Listening to Our Inner Wisdom. To hear ourselves, however, and to allow others to hear themselves requires some space. In today's podcast, I'll discuss this paradox that to have healthy relationships, there needs to be a space and a recognition that we are separate beings with different desires, different feelings, different perspectives, and different life paths. Another term for this space is boundary. In this podcast, I'll be talking about how we can know if the boundaries in a given relationship are healthy or not. How can we establish healthy boundaries when we need to? And how can we manage the fear that can arise when we start establishing boundaries, especially with those who aren't going to like it? How can we set a boundary in a way that is respectful to ourselves and to the other person? In other words, how can we take care of ourselves while also taking care of our relationship. What is a boundary? A boundary doesn't have to be a wall. However, it may need to be in extreme cases, such as those that involve crossing boundaries into our physical space. What I'm talking about here, however, is more emotional and psychologic types of boundaries. We can think of boundaries as a kind of nourishing space that feeds us and feeds the relationship. There can be endless people that we interact with in our day and thus endless ways to observe our boundaries and those of others. The most superficial encounter, for example, could be with the cashier at the grocery who tells us they are vegetarian as they scan the whole chicken we're having for dinner. On the other end of the spectrum are our interactions with those we live with. If we don't have healthy boundaries, we can carry the weight of whatever their emotions are on that given day. And if they don't have healthy boundaries, then they may carry ours. We also have relationships with acquaintances, coworkers, friends, parents, siblings. We can also have relationships with groups our family, our family of origin, so the family we grew up with, our workplace family, our professional community, a religious community, a neighborhood group, even online groups. Without healthy boundaries, we may find ourselves overcommitting, oversharing, or losing ourselves in an attempt to be accepted. As with anything, a good place to start is with ourselves, being aware of our own tendency to intrude into someone's emotional or psychological space. Once we pay attention to our own crossing of boundaries, then we become better able to recognize when others are doing the same. We're all conditioned in our culture to tell each other what to do. We simply, however, can't know what is right for another person. Parker Palmer is an author and educator from the Quaker tradition 
who created a model called Circles of Trust. And this is a place where people can meet together in a way that allows them to basically hear themselves in the context of a group setting as opposed to um, being told what to do. And I mention it because one of the touchstones or aspirations of these groups is a quote that I always remember, and it is, no fixing, saving, advising, or correcting each other. I love that because it is so much of what we tend to do with each other. So we can ask when we're interacting with someone, are we trying to fix them? Are we trying to save them? Are we giving them advice? Are we correcting them? And I would add, we can ask, are we interrupting them? Letting people finish what they are saying, this is part of the space that we need to honor. As we start to recognize when we do this, we can stop ourselves and instead choose to be present and listen. And not listening with the intention of responding and thinking while we're listening of what we're going to say, but really listening to be present and to understand. And what we can find when we do this is that when we're not in everyone else's business, we can more easily hear what our own business is that we need to attend. It's why kids will say to each other, mind your own business. I think they're making a really good point. How nice if that was all we had to say, but I'll talk about how we can communicate this more gently. How can we know if boundaries are healthy? First, recognize that there are cultural differences and there are differences in what we would each consider appropriate boundaries. I mean, there are certainly things that we would all agree on, but there are certainly subtleties otherwise. If you are in a relationship with someone from a different culture or a different family culture, then it can be very helpful to understand their reference point for what is healthy. That doesn't have to change what for you may be healthy, but it does allow more opportunity for understanding and finding a potential middle ground. Unlike measuring a zinc level, we don't have a way to measure if the space between us and another is optimal. What we are aiming for is autonomy and connection at the same time. But how do we know when that is achieved? We really have to listen to ourselves, our thoughts, and even our feelings in our body. That takes time and space for ourselves. A starting place is recognizing our feelings. Are we starting to get irritated, overwhelmed, angry, stressed, reactive, tense, inattentive? Are we turning to addictive type behaviors? We can ask, what about this relationship doesn't feel good? What would feel better? We can ask, does it feel like our feelings aren't being heard by this person? Does it feel like our wants and needs are threatened by this other person or group? Do they respect that we have our own feelings, our own perspectives, and that our path is not their path? Do they project onto us their wants, feelings, and their goals? We can learn to trust our feelings. It takes practice and it takes creating some of that space 
space that we don't have if we're in a world that is intruding on that space. We don't even need all the nuances of feelings. If we can just discern yes or no, do we want this in our life or do we not? It can be as simple as that. Does this relationship or recent encounter, for example, feel good? Or is there something we don't like about it? Is there something that we may need to adjust? And by adjust, I mean setting and establishing a boundary, which I'll talk about. Stress can make it hard to recognize these feelings and to hear ourselves. And again, a lack of time for ourselves makes it harder to listen inwardly. Sometimes we won't want to hear ourselves because then we may have to do something that feels uncomfortable, such as telling someone no or setting a boundary. And in some cases, it could be someone who doesn't easily accept no or doesn't respond to having boundaries set easily. Making adjustments in relationships isn't easy. It requires some courage, a belief that we are worthy of healthy relationships, and again, it takes practice. Why should we set boundaries and what are the benefits of healthy boundaries? So for ourselves, the very primary reason I would say is to lower our stress level. I can't emphasize this enough. If your soul, for lack of a better word, is being trampled on from all directions or even one direction with someone you live with, this can be very stressful. When boundaries aren't healthy, our physiology will react and will react to this as a threat, whether we are consciously thinking about it or not. Healthy boundaries are about self-care. When we don't establish healthy boundaries, we run the risk of acting out our irritation or anger, or even emotionally cutting off the relationship. We may react and then feel bad about that later. If our bigger self doesn't step in, our smaller self, the one that gets us into trouble, often will. This topic today is about an appeal to that higher self. So we set healthy boundaries for ourselves, but what most people forget or don't realize is that we also set healthy boundaries for our relationships. Tending to the boundaries is taking care of the relationship. So we don't act out, again, our irritation, or don't cut the person off emotionally. Many of us will do this mainly because we haven't learned alternatives, ways to respect and make adjustments in the relationship. So why do some of us struggle more with boundaries and find ourselves drawn to others who also may have poor boundaries? Some of us literally haven't been taught healthy boundaries. In fact, culturally, most of us haven't. We've had parents, teachers, religious institutions, media, all telling us what we should do, who we should be, and how we should feel. This may have been further compounded by a family system in which there wasn't a recognition of autonomy or separateness. Maybe everyone was blurred together. Maybe the emotional attention was on a few members at the expense of others. Aside from learning, there are also biochemical aspects Some of us are highly sensitive. We pick up on the emotions of others very easily, too easily. 
Perhaps we hone that skill early as a means of survival in a family system that required our tending to our parents' emotions rather than growing an awareness of our own emotions. Biochemically, we just came into the world picking up everyone else's energy and emotions. For many of us, it's both experiences as well as our physiology. I do believe also that if we are undermethylated, which I've spoken about on previous podcasts, and even left brain in terms of our tendency, we can tend to see things as right or wrong. Solutions can look clear to us, and we may be more inclined to say what we think someone should do. This kind of hyper-focus can prevent us from having the empathy of how that could feel to another. It is the case that those of us with poor boundaries typically gravitate to others with poor boundaries. Our earliest attachment relationships may have been with parents or caregivers who didn't think of us as separate beings, but rather as extensions of them. This kind of dynamic is very stressful and stifling and ultimately doesn't allow someone to emerge into their true self without that person uh, having other corrective life experiences. Despite the stress of that, naturally, we can be drawn to that type of dynamic. Our brain tends to like familiarity. To develop healthier relationships can take work, and for some of us, depending on our own journey, this can be lifelong work. So we might think we're setting boundaries in a relationship only to find in subsequent relationships that we're still learning. Maybe in an early relationship there was more obvious boundary crossing, and then later it is more subtle, harder to put your finger on, but there nonetheless and still creating a great deal of stress. What about the fear or discomfort that can come when we need to establish a boundary. Much of that fear comes from really not knowing how to establish a boundary. Some fear, however, comes from knowing that the person we're going to set a boundary with will become angry. We can't let our fear of making someone angry determine that boundary. It can help to know that this fear is normal It can also help to start setting boundaries with small things and building a confidence. And when I give some examples shortly, you'll have a sense of what would be the easier types of boundaries to set. There may be people who will react no matter how you set the boundary. If someone experiences it as a major narcissistic injury, even by you calmly and politely setting a boundary, that will be up to them to have to make those adjustments. Change can be hard, but if we are doing something that is ultimately healthy and we are doing it in a respectful way, then that's where our responsibility ends. To try to make someone okay with our setting a boundary is crossing a boundary in of itself. It's not our job to make everything okay for everyone else. So some relationships may not be able to withstand any change and may fall away. Other relationships, and hopefully most relationships, will grow stronger and healthier. Some relationships will involve 
setting boundary after boundary. And eventually the person realizes that in order to connect with you, they'll need to make their own adjustments. An interesting byproduct of this work is realizing that some people are taking notice and decide that they can do what you're doing. And we find that we've inspired them. And once we pull back far enough, we can typically see that stress of the relationship with unhealthy boundaries is much worse than the temporary stress of establishing the boundary. And we can see that establishing a boundary paradoxically often brings people closer in a healthier way, at least the people that we would want to have our connections with. As with anything, the more you do this, the less stress you will feel. Before you know it, most of your relationships will have healthier boundaries and it won't require as much effort. Perhaps one of the most difficult boundaries to set is with a parent who may have narcissistic tendencies, meaning their focus is primarily on their own feelings and desires, and they're unable to see yours, perhaps. And if you are working on setting a boundary with a parent who struggles with these types of issues, then I would really encourage you to increase your self-care and increase your support, because this is a very challenging thing to do. What does a boundary look like? A boundary could be a choice not to answer a question or to say no, or a boundary could even be ending a relationship. When we are communicating a boundary, remember we are conveying you and I are separate beings with different feelings, different desires, different perspectives, and different life paths. We can be separate and still be connected. In fact, we can be more connected and enjoy healthy relationships if we're not feeling emotionally or psychologically threatened. So as I go through some examples, know that obviously there's not one way to respond, but I'm trying to give you a sense of tone and a sense of particular words that could be used, but there's a whole range of ways to respond. So let's start with advice, giving, or uninvited opinions. And instead of, I didn't ask you, or mind your own business, we could say something like, that's an interesting perspective, and I'm sure you have your reasons for seeing it that way, but I see this differently. And then you could share your perspective. Though remember that you really don't have to, especially if you don't feel that the person is going to be able to genuinely hear your perspective, or if you expect them to counter it. And if just as they are getting started, you don't want to hear their perspective on your life decision, you can always set a limit before they continue. You might say something like, I know your intentions are very good here, and I know you really care about me, and I appreciate that. But for me, I'd rather not talk about this, so I'm going to change the subject here. Or you could say, Even, I'm going to go and get some fresh air and think through things. Or, I think I really just need to think about this on my own. How much you want to say may relate to the type of relationship and your expectation of how able the person listening 
uh, would be able to hear what you're communicating. Your instinct may be to apologize when you set a boundary such as this, but you may not want to communicate that to yourself or to them because you're not doing anything wrong and apologies isn't necessary. Some people will use apologies just to soften things and there's no right or wrong answer, but at least for in your own mind, if you're doing something appropriate and in a respectful way, an apology shouldn't be necessary. Also, it's important to know that sometimes we want someone's input or we want rather to hear their experience and that could be different from them telling us what to do. Another example could be when someone is emotionally crossing a boundary, and this could be when they're communicating disapproval, maybe even trying to shame us in a sense. And an example could be if you're making a choice in your life and someone doesn't approve, maybe it's about a relationship or a or a career path, or a religious affiliation. And the choice doesn't impact the life of that person directly. And yet they seem hurt, and they are conveying either by the tone of their voice or their expression or their overall demeanor that they're disapproving of your choice. First, we can recognize that this is about them and not necessarily about us. We can try to understand, maybe they're fearing our choice is going to result in a disconnection with them, even though it is their reaction that is more likely to contribute to any disconnection. And while considering why they are disapproving, it might help increase empathy and decrease our irritation, but none of that has to impact how we feel about our decision that someone can't imagine that our choice isn't about them or that our choice to be in a relationship doesn't have to result in the end of connection with them. Um, Because they can't imagine that doesn't mean that we can't imagine that. Sometimes people are shaming us because they are resentful that we're doing something that they wish they could do. Maybe they were shamed as children and think that is how to get what they want from people. In short, though, know that when people are using shame and disapproval, it is about them, and we need to try to leave it there. Along these lines of emotional boundaries, there's also many ways where we can pick up on the feelings of others around us. And we don't have to take on the emotions of those around us, and many of us can do it without even thinking. If we are highly sensitive, we can notice and even notice how someone else's feelings may make us feel, but then we need to remind ourselves whose feelings they are and remind ourselves that it is not our job or our business to fix another person's feelings. I'm going to read a short essay that speaks to this. It was something that I wrote about six years ago, and it was called Pass the Cup of Grace, Please. And it's just to help you have an analogy so that when you are experiencing this, I think it it will come to your attention more easily. 
So you're going about your day in a lovely mood when all of a sudden you happen upon a grouchy other. Their anger lands on you and sticks. You can say that they've handed you their negativity on a platter and you accept it. You move on feeling a bit ticked off, and before you know it, you're handing the platter to the next unsuspecting villager. Unburdened, you feel a bit better. Depending on how often the platter is passed and accepted, irritation spreads exponentially throughout the village. Or, you're going about your day in a lovely mood when another attempts to hand you their platter of irritability. Instead of accepting, you smile and say, No, thank you. I couldn't possibly. You keep that all for yourself. You walk on quickly so as not to get hit by anything flying off the platter. Or you notice the platter, look past it as if it is not there, and you speak to the better part of the grumpy villager, the part they've forgotten is there. You may be like the story character Pollyanna, who on the surface seems naive, but instead is fearlessly wise. Undeterred by the platter, you approach with an open heart and unsettle the wounded perspective. Some will set down their platter, Some may even accept your cup of tea spilling over with grace. If they do, you can assume they'll offer it to the next villager they come upon. Another type of boundary may be when someone is fishing for information. Maybe this is someone who enjoys gossiping. We don't need to tell everyone everything about ourselves. We don't need to answer questions we don't want to. If we are weighing a decision or working through some process, we don't need to tell anyone. For those with shaky boundaries, when we do tell them that we're in the middle of a decision, it can make them feel that we're inviting their input. We can share this type of information with those we trust and those we know have healthy boundaries. But we don't have to feel like we are an open book to everyone. We may need to set boundaries. When someone is asking us for our time, attention, money, or talents, they may even be trying to convince us to do something for them. And certainly we, we have that choice, and there will be things that we will want to do and things that won't be aligned with Uh, our goals, and the time that we have available. This could be an organization, it could be a colleague, it could be a family or friend. Maybe they're laying on some compliments and aren't actually asking, but clearly trying to convince us. When someone asks us if we will do something, they are recognizing us as a separate person. When someone tries to convince us, They are focused primarily on their desires, typically. Put some space in your response if you are not sure. Over time, you'll get better at knowing in the moment, but always give yourself permission to have more time to think about it. Simply say, well, let me think about it, and I'll let you know as soon as I can. Even by doing this, you are still conveying a boundary. You are saying that you are thoughtful about whether it is good for you and that you weren't just reacting. It can be very easy to overextend ourselves 
So it's certainly worth paying attention to what matters to us and seeing the bigger pictures of our lives so that we're not depleting ourselves in order to meet the needs of others that may not align with with what we want. Also know that you don't need to apologize for saying no. You don't need to be rude, but you also don't need to suggest you are wrong or guilty for saying no. Uh, One way to say it could be, I wish I had more time, but I really can't do that right now. So that's one way to approach it. One way would be simply to say, no, I'm, I'm not able to do that. Or as Annie Lamott would say, no is a complete sentence. Though I think we can be gentler and certainly more respectful. Someone trying to involve us in their problem can be another way that boundaries can become blurred. And this could be someone trying with good intention to uh, get our help and our input in a struggle that they're having in their life, we can easily become consumed and overextend ourselves here too. And always remember that there are professionals that we can always recommend, be it mental health professionals, financial advisors, attorneys, Whatever the problem is, there are experts that can be helpful. So we don't have to feel that we're the only person that can help someone. I'll mention a few boundary issues, and this isn't a complete list, but these three involve more systems, so more groups. And the first would be triangulation. And this is when we find ourselves in a situation where there's two other people who, and often this will happen in families, who may be communicating through us rather than directly to one another. And if you find yourself in this situation, you may feel like a go-between, or people might be talking negatively about the other. And this really starts to blur relationships and will impair your relationships with both of those people. So the consequence of participating in something like this becomes really a lack of trust, and again, it diminishes the relationships. So one way to handle this is to, in your own mind, be very intentional of having separate relationships with those two individuals and setting limits on the types of conversations that you have with them, not to include the other. Another systems or group type issue would be perhaps in a work setting where there might be, or even in a family setting, where there may be a problem within the group dynamic that needs to be addressed, but it's not your problem to address. So if there is a problem that you feel like you should fix or you could fix, ask yourself, does fixing this problem keep it from being addressed by those who need to really address the problem? Just because we can fix a problem doesn't mean that we should or that it will be helpful in the long run. And perhaps an example would be if you have a coworker who's not doing their job and you're stepping in and doing the work that they're not doing to keep everything in place, 
But what's happening is the problem is never really being dealt with because you are fixing it. And so it will not be dealt with by the appropriate means within that system. Another group dynamic that can relate to boundaries is what I would call a tribe mentality. And this is where we can feel where we have to do what everyone else is doing. This could be, for example, at a family holiday gathering where there is a way that things have been done and that way of doing things may no longer work for everyone. Maybe there are certain things talked about or traditions or even what's eaten that no longer fit with everyone's needs. There are places we may compromise, but others where that may not be possible. There can be a seeming gravitational pull to that earlier family system where everyone has a role to play, and maybe you don't want to have that role that you previously had. So setting a boundary here, again, would be with the intention of having autonomy as well as having connection. Because if you're at a family holiday dinner and you're becoming very irritated and you can't tolerate it, that certainly isn't going to bode well for the relationships. Whereas if you can take care of yourself and, for example, if you need to, go take a walk, then that will connect you to yourself and make you more available to connecting with others when you return. So there's many possible solutions, but in short, they all involve trying to create new ways to connect with people we care about without losing our connection to ourselves. What about our boundaries with spouses, partners, or very close friends? One struggle can be that there is no space between, that there's no time to be alone, to refuel or feed one's inner life. People can differ in how much of this time they need. Self-awareness and ability to communicate needs are key here. We can fear that if we create more space, we'll cause disconnection. So then perhaps no one speaks up about this need. And what is more likely to happen is then disconnection. And this is where one or both members of the couple start to lose themselves. We need space to think, to feel, and refuel for ourselves, but also so that we have something to bring back to the relationship. There's also the boundary that we have with the world, and this is about self-care. And I think self-care is typically when we're honoring the space between us and the rest of the world. Silence and solitude and stillness can be helpful here. The quote by John O'Donohue I appreciate is, when you come into your solitude, you come into companionship with everything and everyone. When you extend yourself frenetically outward, seeking refuge in your external image or role, you are going into exile. When you come patiently and silently home to yourself, you come into unity and into belonging. There are situations in which boundaries need to be balanced with what our responsibilities are. So children, for example, 
Our responsibility as a parent is to assure their safety, their education, their well-being. But it is also important for us to recognize that our children are separate beings as well and are going to have different feelings, different perspectives, and different paths in their life. So if they're two and they're running into the street, we stop them. If they're a teen and they're doing something unsafe, we set a limit. But we need to be able to live in paradox and know that we can be both a parent and be responsible for safety, education, and well-being, and at the same time recognize that they are separate people with a separate life. Similarly, with our elderly parents, it's important to recognize that they have their own wants and needs, even while needing some assistance in areas. They, like us, want autonomy. While some aging parents may enjoy the shift in dynamic to needing more care, many, if not most, fear that they will be a burden. It becomes important to honor their autonomy and recognize their needs. hope you found this podcast helpful and I hope you consider sharing it if you know someone you think it may be useful for. If you'd like to learn more about root causes of brain-related symptoms, please consider visiting my website at CourtneySnyderMD.com and consider subscribing to my newsletter. I also can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you'd like to help me get information out into the world, please consider commenting, liking, or sharing. I look forward to connecting with you in a future podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.